This message is brought to you by Cornerstone Gospel Church in Frankston, Australia. Yeah, we've looked in recent weeks at um, freedom from conscience, uh, how our conscience is, is affected prior to coming to Christ, and how in Christ Jesus we, we do find true freedom of that damaged conscience. We find freedom in the thought life. The bondages of sin affect us in the thought life. We find a biblical and genuine and substantial healing of psychological problems in Christ Jesus. And that is the true and only answer to psychological issues uh, that people have. And when a person thinks that he may have overcome psychological problems by his own achievement, he really hasn't. He's, he's found another way of mastering himself, uh, that is all. That there is a substantial healing of the total person. And so we're going to look at this healing of personal relationships uh, in Christ Jesus today because the, the God of the Bible the one true God, the Bible describes him as having personality. He thinks, he acts, he feels. And we have talked about this over and over. And as such, God created man to be in relationship with him. And, and this idea is profoundly important because it lays the foundation for all our other relationships because that relationship with God becomes the relationship that gives guidance in life to all of our relationships. The Christian system of thought and of the thought life and of life begins with a God who is personal, he is infinite, he is above us. He is holy. He is righteous. He is perfect. In many ways, we could say he's everything we are not. But he is personal. And by personal, we don't mean your personal God as opposed to someone else's personal God. There is but one God. But he is personal in that he has attributes of personality. God is not a brick. God is not a tree. God is a personal being, a being of personality. And this is incredibly important for us because the scripture shows us that God engages with his people. He engages with all of his creation. He engages with, with angels. And so the God, the God of the Bible, the, the Bible emphasizes this uh, personality of God in many ways. It declares God's anger at sin. It declares his love towards people. It declares uh, his regret uh, at times. Various different things. And so because of this, personality is a truly valid thing and it's not just a matter of chance. Now, you and I, through the sin of the world that we're in, through the actions we've committed in our lives and, 
and maybe actions that have been committed against us, our personalities have been affected. We're not all the same. And if, you've, if you have had more than one child, you know from within moments of the birth of that second child, they are uniquely different to the first child. You wonder before your second child is born, you, you know, sometimes you think, how are we going to love this second child as much as we love our first one? And then the second child comes along and it's an entirely new love. It's a different thing because this child is so different and unique. And as they grow, their personality flourishes and grows. And, and so the uniqueness of that relationship continues to flourish and grow. And it is built around the engagement of a personality with another personality. And it is not different in many ways between us and God. And we have to remember this, that God has created us to be in relationship with him. So let's move on into substantial healings or healing in personal relationships. Open to Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17, verse 25. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious, for I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship. I even found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Now, this essentially is street preaching. What Paul is doing, he is engaging with people in the marketplace, you know, in, in the street. And he's using, in this case, local customs and, and, and uh, local idolatry to, as an inroad for bringing in the gospel. And uh, uh, you can go online, you can see some wonderful open-air preachers who, who do this kind of thing uh, very very successfully in terms of using it as an inroad for the gospel. Therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, the unknown God, the one whom you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. I'm revealing this one to you. God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. So Paul is setting a contrast to his audience and he's saying, if you can make something and you can worship that, that's not God. God is not like that. God is not made with our hands. In fact, he gives life to all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth. It's a, it's a fantastic statement that, and it shows the commonality of mankind. He has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. 
For in him we live and move and have our being. Now this is regardless of what anybody is worshipping or who they are worshipping. It is in God that we have our being. And apart from that, we have no being. And so Paul is trying to bring them to this understanding that it's only because of him you're existing. And it's only because of him you continue to exist. And he's not far from you. As also some of your, um, for in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. So Paul is quoting directly from their writings. Um, and so this comes into an interesting discussion on the inspiration of scripture, but, but we're not going to go down that direction. 29, therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and man's devising. So since we are the offspring of God. Since God has made man, we shouldn't think that somehow God is represented by something crafted out of man's hands. We're the crafting of God. God is not our crafting. Verse 22, Paul stood in the, mid, in the midst of the Oropagus and said, and the Latin uh, for this is rendered Mars Hill. This is a location of the council or the court of justice that met uh, in an open air on the in the open air on a hill, and they would decide things and they would discuss things in the very uh, Greek manner uh, of um, uh, discussion and and you know asking questions in that Socratic, uh, Socratic method of uh, of questioning things and all this this kind of stuff. Listen to verse twenty six onwards in the New Living Translation. All translations I urge you to be a little careful with and it's good to read from a variety of translations but some you have to be a little more careful with than others because sometimes the the publishers have um, an agenda behind them and and you'll if you do a diligent search of the NLT which is a, a great and easy Bible to read but if you do a diligent search you'll find that there are passages that seem very obscure or missing um, verse 26 from one man he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. For in him we live and move and exist. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Remember, this is the unknown God. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. Paul is essentially saying, take a look at yourself. Don't conclude then that God is somehow made in your image. That, that you can craft this obelisk and put it on your mantelpiece and that, God, that somehow is God. That's not an endorsement for Vince LaRocca, by the way. Um, that, that that somehow is God because you made it. It's, it works the other way around. God made you. He made you and somehow you therefore reflect God in your creation, saved or unsaved, 
You are a reflection of God's intelligence and personality because this is how he made man, all nations. Can you say amen? amen. So God's dealing with man has two important grounds. The grounds upon which God deals with man are the basis of who and what he is, firstly. And this is what Paul is arguing to them. Don't think you can make a statue and that that's God, right? Make an idol. And man's own nature. What God has made us as. What, he's, what he has intended us to be. Now, God will not violate that which he is himself. Okay? And God will also not violate what he's made us to be. He has made us to be a certain creature and God deals with us on that basis. He knows our frailty. He knows that we are but dust. And God deals with us on the basis of the persons that he has made us to be. So God himself always deals with man on the basis of personal relationship. This is person to person. Now, this is not like postmodernism. I'm not trying to confuse things here. This is not postmodernism where, oh, what does the Bible mean to you? What, what does this verse mean to you? Where it doesn't matter what it means to you, it just matters what it means. And so this is not somebody saying, but to me God is, and filling in the blank, and just putting in there a, a, an indeterminate description of what God is like and what his nature is like. That, that's not what I'm talking about. But what I'm saying is that God, because he is a God of personality, he therefore deals with man on the basis of man's personality because that's how he's created us to be, to have personality and to share in relationship with him. Remember back in the garden that Adam and Eve, God would come and walk with them in the cool of the evening. They sinned and they hid themselves from God. Why? Because of shame. Their relationship with God had been damaged and they tried to hide themselves from God because of that guilt. True guilt that came upon man from that time and true guilt that comes upon us through sin. So because God is infinite though, he's not like us. He deals with each one personally. God, God knows you and I in depths that we don't even know ourselves and he is able to deal with us thusly and uh, where, where we can't. We can't deal with ourselves that way. Uh, we can't deal with others that way. We don't have that kind of knowledge. And so our relationships with one another are damaged because we're damaged. His dealings with man, though, is not primarily legal. Now, when you get into um, legalistic cults, um, you know, you can think of, of, of have a, a good friend who spent many years in the exclusive brethren. Uh, um, and I've had other friends in the um, 
um, exclusive Baptist kind of circles, independent Baptists, which vary depending which independent Baptists you meet. Um, uh, when you get into cults like the Jehovah's Witnesses or the Mormons or whatever it may be, the presentation of the relationship the, that we have with God is first of all built upon legalistic foundations because it is if you want to have the favour of God upon your life, it is determined by you living and responding in certain ways. Otherwise, the judgment of God is upon you. And so this presents God just only and purely as a judge of mankind. Is God a judge? Yes. But is God loving and merciful? And the challenge for us is to be able to reconcile those two positions because they can seemingly sit in contrast to each other. And this is the challenge, that God is a personal God who desires mercy upon his people. So how does he bridge that gap of justice for man's sin? And we, we know the gospel story is in that of Jesus. So his dealings with man are not firstly on the basis of this justice and legal system. That's, that's not where the dealings of God are firstly. But sometimes we emphasize that over the relational aspect of God. He is a God who has character. He is a God who desires relationship with his people. He is a God of personality. Now, when man sins, he breaks God's law and this brings true guilt. With true guilt comes shame and comes uh, uh, a breakdown of relationship when when a uh, husband or wife is unfaithful to their to their spouse there is damage that is done to that marriage relationship sometimes it can be restored but it is going to take humbling of one person the offender at the very least it is going to take humbling on their part to seek true forgiveness in that relationship so guilt and sin has consequences. And, and if you and I are desiring to walk in relationship with God, firstly, it's going to come in this area that, that you and I are humbling ourselves before God that true guilt and sin is dealt with. Now, so we're sinners and we must be justified before God uh, before we can form relationship with God. Um, uh, and so there is this, this legal standing with God. That is a very much the Bible speaks about it in courtroom language of justification and guilt and forgiveness and, and all these kinds of things. The Bible speaks about all that kind of stuff. But the reason why I'm emphasizing that is because in order for our relationships to be healed properly, substantially, we must be in right relationship with God. This doesn't depend on the other person. It depends on you and I. Your relationship with God. So we're, we're seeing, and, and we've seen this in previous lessons within the series, that, that as man has sinned, there's been breakdowns in many areas. There's been physical and mental problems within mankind. There's been re relational problems within mankind. Uh, the, and there has been this problem 
between man and God. Uh, there's been problems even uh, within our physical bodies, all different kinds of things that have come out of sin. And so within, it's within this framework that we're talking about getting into right relationship with God and that out of that flows the possibility of right relationship with our neighbour. Now, this is not a mechanical relationship. This is not uh, some kind of, uh, you know, religious system that we're talking about. This is not where a priest gets between us and God and does some mystical thing. You know, the, the priesthood of the family is Christ over the family unit where it, where it is Christ, then it is the husband and the wife and the children. And, and that is the family unit and this is why the family unit is under so much attack because the family unit is a miraculous thing that God does in the world. Whenever a priest or a man steps between that order and God, there is a problem. And it becomes a religious system built on all kinds of wrong structures. Now, upon becoming a Christian, one's relationship with God must remain a person-to-person -person relationship. Now, God is not a man like we, okay? We're not talking about that, but he has personality. And Scripture describes God, the Father, as the first person of the, the, the Godhead, or, or Trinitarian statements. The God the Father, first person of the Godhead. Jesus, second person of the Godhead. The Holy Spirit, third person of the Godhead. So there is one distinction, though, that has not to be forgotten. And that is, within this relationship, your relationship with me is different to this one distinction. Your relationship with each other. And that is that... God is the creator and you and I are the creatures. Once we get this right, once we stop putting ourselves at the center of our own universe, and believe me, you and I do that, right? We put ourselves at the center of our own universe. Everything functions around ourselves and we're calling all the shots. But once we do that, we begin to get things in order. When we humble ourselves before God and remind ourselves, he's the creator, he is the Lord. I am the servant. I'm the created one. So in all my thoughts and all my actions toward God, I have to keep this correct. This is the cre creature-creator relationship. Now, this does not alter the... Um, the person-to-person -person relationship, but it sets the framework for it. Um, so, which we'll come to in a moment. Throughout Scripture, we are reminded to love God. To love God. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength. That's a... Just, just let that settle in for a moment, right? Just, 
just ponder that for a moment. Because God is satisfied with nothing less than man loving him. This is what God wants. David was called a friend of God. God, God wants our love. What often happens is that we give God our performance. But God wants our love. He wants in the morning for you to rise and to go through the struggles that you have with him, to go through them in prayer, to say to him, Lord, I'm tired. To say to him, Lord, I, I've, I'm feeling uh, these thoughts, um, um, you know, I'm, I'm feeling this rejection or, or whatever it might be, the, the various different battles. Lord, our, our marriage is struggling. Please help me to love as Jesus loves the church, to help me lo to love my wife as Jesus loves the church. He wants you to go through those things with him, that you and I would come to him, our Father in heaven, and that we would love him with our hearts and bear our hearts to him and go through the scripture looking for direction from him in our lives. This is what God wants. We're not called merely to be justified, merely to be called the saints. You know, we're not called to merely sacrifice to him. Man was created to be firstly in personal relationship with God and out of that is to flow everything in terms of our human relationships. This is a good point to ask ourselves, do I love him? Do I love him? And if we see our love lacking, then to be like uh, in the church uh, of Revelation, to stir up that first love. To stir it up. Don't go, you know, don't just go through religious traditions. This Sunday morning is not going to cut it for you for the rest of the week. Neither will any Sunday morning. Wouldn't matter if we had seven days of church, 365 days a year. That won't cut it. You must walk in relationship with God. Your love for him must grow. It has to grow and keep growing. I, I promise you that men and women who move apart from each other in their marriage relationship and say, oh, we just kind of fell out of love, they stopped investing in their relationship. That's where it's happened. They've stopped showing that love and demonstrating that love and giving that love to one another. And that's where the coldness begins to set in and thus the feelings... And it is feelings of being out of love. Like love is some kind of bubble that we live in, you know, and, and that we're just in it and oops, boop, the bubble's popped and I'm outside the bubble all of a sudden. That's, that's not how it is at all. We foster love in this sacrificial sense of giving of one another to each other. Adrian. Yeah, absolutely, out of Hebrews. Just reading that line there, you can love God all your life, but without faith you cannot please Him. Mm. That might be an answer to, in the end days, He separates the goats and the sheep. He said, Lord, we'll do all these wonderful things for you. He said, go away, didn't they? Yep. Yeah, and if we, if we were talking about love's, love as a, 
because um, we're talking about the relationship aspect here of believers. So if we were talking about love in terms, well, you can't equate love with works. So that is people who rested on their works to seek justification um, from God, I believe. So, but it, it's a good point. You can't discount faith, and I'm not trying to just because I'm not mentioning that here. So Hebrews 11.6, I think that is. Uh, without faith, it's impossible to please him. So, yeah, it's so it's a, it's good. He will show that. And that's going to be challenged, isn't it? It's going to be challenged in our lives, and from time to time, we're going to have to really dig in deep to to foster that love where the fire is dying down, you know. So, now, the same can be said of our devotions. If we're talking about loving God here, you know, we're talking about loving him, our battery must have gone flat, um, then uh, the same can be said about devotional exercises. Devotional exercises can become just a routine that we get up and we have a devotional exercise, a little like doing a physical exercise each day. Now, if prayer becomes solely a devotional exercise, and this is the danger of, Lord, teach us to pray, uh, like this, you shall pray, our Father who art in heaven. That's not a, a recipe to repeat day in, day out, so that then we can say, I prayed today. I said, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. You know, that's not what Jesus was trying to emphasize because of all the prayers of Jesus that are recorded in Scripture, nothing is recorded like that prayer in terms of words that he spoke. He never said those words over and over again. But the principles of those, that prayer are demonstrated in Jesus' prayers over and over and over again. So now, turning from our personal relationship with God, let's consider human relationships because that forms foundation for human relationships and um, this person-to-person communication with God. So um, moving on from that onto human relationships. Let's consider something. Remember we said that our relationship with God is the creator. And what are we? Creature. So our relationship with each other is what to what? Creature to creature. That's what it is. <coughs> Thus making us equal. Larry Norman once said, they say all men are equal. All men are brothers. Why are the rich more equal than others? Now, we're not talking about philosophies of equality and all that kind of stuff. Any humans here? Right? We're equals. Any non-humans here? Right? So, okay. So, human relationships are on a basis of equality. And human relationships are also to be personal. And we do share in personal relationships, don't we? You know, we share in that and we know that, that there is an amazing engagement in human relationships. Sometimes that engagement can cause devastation. Sometimes it causes amazement, you know, and, and 
sometimes it stirs up the greatest things in, in human lives and sometimes it's very destructive. But this all comes out of human relationships and there is this struggles that we have in human relationships. And if you have lived any number of years before coming to Christ, um, then the longer you lived, the longer you possibly had bad habits embedded into your life that damaged your relationships and sometimes we bring them into the Christian life and it's over time that God begins to show us that we're behaving wrongly to one another. Right? I've mentioned to you that saying, uh, if you kick a dog it walks funny and, um, and so this, it is only a saying about um, learned behaviours that people learn certain behaviours because of ways that they're treated and this is a, a great problem today with children growing up in, in single parent families they're not getting a balance of family instruction uh, in those families and so they're learning in many cases uh, bad habits that they're taking on into adulthood damaged relationships etc etc et God has not made us to be machines our relationships with one another are not principally legal relationships uh, you know, we do have legal relationships marriage is a legal bond between a man and a woman um, you know, these kinds of things. And though that sounds simple, it's often the sin of the church has been to forget this very thing that, that relationships are built around creature-to-creature -creature relationships of equality amongst God's creation. Now, Acts 17, we read earlier on, and he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth. All, we use a phrase for man, don't we? Mankind. Because that, that is given to us, the kinds is given to us straight from scripture where, you know, people say, ah, oh, there's, there's so many different types of dogs. How did Noah take all those different types of dogs onto the ark? And, and so it's answered in the kinds that he didn't take all the different types of dogs, but he took kinds in there. And so most likely something very close to a wolf uh, from which the types have been bred down from and these types of things. So our kind is mankind, isn't it? All who come from Adam are man's kind. We're mankind. That's who we are. We who believe the Bible, we believe Adam existed. <coughs> Amen? And is the, the father of mankind as such. The first man. This carries with it something practical because all who come from Adam are man's kind. Mankind is not a meaningless title. This means that you and I have equality in life no matter what our social standing is. It doesn't matter. You can, I'm sure if you talk to David and Kathy, they'll tell you a thing or two about India. They've been uh, living on and off there for many years and uh, doing ministry uh, there. And they will tell you, they could probably tell you very much about the caste systems uh, in India. 
uh, with people who are at the highest levels and people at the lowest levels and you know the the ones who are at the lowest level are not expected to be able to um, engage with those at the highest levels in any meaningful way um, clearing rubbish away and all this kind of stuff that's not how scripture sees us scripture sees you and I black white or somewhere in between as equal it doesn't matter yellow is not a shade of, uh, of black or white but that's what the Chinese call themselves they call themselves Wong Sek Yang, yellow people. That's what they call themselves. So we'll include them too, because it's not just from black to white. It's colors in between. You and I are equal. It's as wide as the human race. And we are to have personal relationship as equals with whoever we come into contact with. This includes... The unbelievers. What's the difference between us and them? We're just a sinner saved by grace. In fact, it should give us mercy towards them, knowing what God has saved us from. And this is a problem that I have with some uh, systems of theology that, that have taught people um, that they are especially unique um, and as such they look down on other people. Let's, let's, let's not head there, but that's something to consider. The Bible recognises only two types or two classes of people. Those who have trusted Christ as their saviour. You want to take a guess at the other one? <laughs> those who have not. There should be, as believers, incredible empathy and love from us for those who have not trusted Christ as their saviour. Christians must, understanding that our, must understand that our dealings with men Believers and unbelievers in this world, our dealings with them are on the basis of equality. We're not elite. As God's children, you and I have a personal relationship with him, but we're called to, to bring that love into the world. And we'll see that a little bit more in a moment. And this is on the basis of equality. Unredeemed man's sin and separation from God does not remove him from the human ordinance of God. Now, the unsaved, now this, is, this gets really important right now. The unsaved are the recipients of the blessings of the commands to the church. What are we talking about here? I think that's a sub-command of the two commands to the church. <laughs> Maybe a third, because Jesus said, and a new command I give to you. So first one, love God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength. Second one, love your neighbour. And the third one? 
love each other. A new commandment I give to you, that you would love one another as I have loved you. So, so this is, brings a, a definition or, 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 or a framework to the love that the church is to have for the brethren of the church. So the unsaved become the recipients of our love of God by virtue of the ordinance handed to the church to, to take the gospel into the world, um, but to love our neighbour. When Jesus was giving the basic commandment concerning his fellow man, he used the word neighbour, and uh, he said, you shall love your neighbour as yourself. And, uh, and at this point, there is no distinction between Christian and non-Christian, because I'm to love my neighbour, every man, as myself. All, anyone who has need. And he made this point, if you turn to Luke 10, 25 to 37. He made this point there. One day an expert in religious law stood up, Luke, uh, Luke 10, 25, stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And he was correct. Jesus replied, right, do this and you will live. The man wanted to justify his actions, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replied with the story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along, but when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along. And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with oil, uh, olive oil and wine and bandaged him. Uh, then he put the man on his donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If the bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. We put that in context of today, you know. That's a phenomenal thing. Now, which of these three would you say was his neighbor, was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. The man replied, the one who showed mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. But you see, an expert in religious law did not like that kind of answer. It's far too theological and far too theologically correct and far too practical. He was trying to test Jesus, trying to trap him in this aspect of religious law. And he thought he had a smart question. And Jesus then summarized this down with a, a beautiful illustration and said, so your neighbor is whoever has need. That's your neighbor. Why? Because you and I are creature to creature in relationships. We're all the created. Amen? Amen. 
and so we therefore are all equal and all in need. It's, it's a significant thing that Exodus 20.17 says that we are not to covet our neighbour's things. Anything that he has, his wife, his tractor. Well, I didn't say tractor then, but it's essentially a tractor. Every man and his neighbour is to be treated in proper human relationships. We can put it another way. The basis of our thinking and our life must be nothing other than God himself. Our thinking must not just be things about God. Our thinking must be all the time, Lord, bring me into stronger relationship with you. Lord, you be the fountain of my life. You be the foundation for my feet. You be the light for my path. But so often we rely upon ourselves. So often we, we just look to ourselves as the, um, the, the source of direction and wisdom. And, and uh, so then we can, you know, we're not much of a challenge to ourselves because we usually agree with ourselves when we come to our own conclusions. We don't find much of a, a, an objective argument there. We can look at it another, another way. Man's exaltation of self tends toward turning inward to self. Because after all, you know, as many marketing campaigns have said, you're the most important person in the world. Just ask Eubank or MeBank. <coughs> MeBank. One marketing campaign said, it's all about you. And so we have so centralised ourselves that our whole life is focused on us, what we can do, what we can achieve, all about ourselves. And we have to be careful of this because if we put ourselves rather than God at the centre of the universe, we tend to turn inward instead of outward. See, once we begin to put God on the throne, as I said recently, and we, we move away from that central position and then we put our spouse next and then we put our children next and we're serving our family as we're supposed to, once we do that, we will start to think outwardly about others rather than inwardly about self. And I know you never battle these kinds of inward thoughts and desires, but you know I know I do. When we turn inward, we deny the importance of communication. You see, if I will lift up my family, I begin to defer myself toward their needs. I begin to push myself away toward their needs and communication will grow. But if it's all about me, communication will be hindered because I'm the centre of the universe. Proverbs says, don't be wise in your own eyes. Without relationships, we're not going to be challenged regarding our own wisdom. Healthy human relationships begin with humility. That's where they start. Amen. 
Now, we're very close to the end here. When we see that we are the creature in the presence of God, and that relationship with God, that's the ultimate relationship. When we see that, and that our human relationships exist among equals, only then can we truly gain from human relationships what God means for them to provide. Remember we talked about false integration points a couple of weeks back. False integration points are when you and I look to something to give us something it's not really designed to do. So if we, you know, if we, um, if we think that somehow uh, uh, playing some sort of sport is going to give us happiness and we look to that as giving us happiness and so we invest in it and we give our lives to it only to find out that it's quite empty really, or if we even look to human relationships to give us something they're not designed to do. It's when human relationships are built on the foundation of God, first of all, that human relationships can then give us what they are intended to do, not what we're looking for. And this is the the problem of many marriages is that people go into the marriage looking for what they can get from it. And, And that is true. You know, why are you getting married? Well, I just really feel like this person is going to fulfill me. You know? I had some wrong integration point on that. My pastor asked me, why are you getting married? Why do you want to get married, Lionel? Well, I feel a call to ministry and so I need to be married. (laughs) So romantic. It's a wrong integration point because I was looking for that marriage to do something that it's not intended to do. There may be some wisdom in it, all that kind of stuff, but it's not what marriage is for. Marriage is a a union of a man and a wife for the glory of God so that we can represent Christ in this world together, that we can mirror to this world the love that God has for the world by showing Christ Jesus to the world. Anything else that flows out of that marriage comes from that foundation. If we aim for anything else out of that marriage, we're at a wrong point. We're going into it for that goal, and that's a wrong goal. So this is, this is the really important part. I should have got a new battery because I want to point. This is the important part, putting God at the foundation of the relationship so that then the relationship can really bring to us what it is supposed to bring to us. No human relationships can give what only God can give. And this is, this is the failure point of so many marriages, that people went in with these high expectations of what they were going to get, only to plummet a mile down into the base of the Grand Canyon, realising that their expectations weren't met. This other per- person has disappointed them so much. It's, it's all a wrong integration point there, the whole thing. It's not about that. You and I are to humble ourselves before God, walk in relationship with Him and treat one another, especially within the marriage, as equals and look to God to give to us what He intends 
that relationship to give. And even on our relationships with one another, that we're not expecting something of each other that is not supposed to be there. We're not looking, oh, um, you know, I call Mark all the time and he never calls me back. I'm not going to invest in that. That's not what the relationship is all about. That's not what it's supposed to be. I'm looking for it to give something that it shouldn't, it's not designed to give. It's on the basis of the finished work of Christ. Human relationships can be substantially healed in this present life. And so when two Christians find that their relationship is struggling, they can humble themselves, you know. It's always a bit further down we can go. Get on our knees, seek the Lord, humble ourselves and see Christ glorified in that relationship. How many times have you heard someone say, I'd go to church, but it's full of hypocrites, man. I went to church as a child and they're just bickering and gossiping and they, they smile and shake hands with each other and walk out the church and talk about each other. Come on. See, we are to be a demonstration of the existence of God. Now, I've got a quote here from Francis Schaeffer. He said, Lovelessness is a sea that knows no shore, for it is what God is not. You don't want to be drowning in the sea and not able to see or reach the shore. He went on and he said, And eventually not only will the other man drown, but I will drown. And worst of all, the demonstration of God drowns as well when there is nothing to be seen but a sea of lovelessness and impersonality. Just let that sink in a little. It's a great description. And so we can see that as Christians, you know, we, we know we're not to be in fellowship with false doctrine and all these kinds of things. But we have to forget, we, we have to not forget that, that God intends that you and I would work through things relationally together as well. That when we stand up and, and we, we hold fast to conviction that we do so still with love. This is the, the nature of true Christianity. And... Uh, and this is a, a beginning of substantial healing of personal relationships. We, we have a lot to go through with just laying this foundation. So at the moment we've laid this foundation that, that first of all God calls you and I into a personal relationship with him and that personal relationship forms a foundation for us to build other relationships with both believers and unbelievers in our marriages and, and every relationship we have because the difference being that in this relationship with God, he's the creator, we're the creature. In this relationship with one another, we are equals before God. And in, in our relationships with people in the world, we are equals with those people. And we're to show love and demonstrate the amazing love that Christ has shown to us, to those people, out of compassion 
and sincere sympathy and empathy for them, demonstrating that love. Amen? How we see the God of the Bible is going to determine how all of this takes place. So I would urge you, look into Scripture about the fatherhood of God and about his love towards us and worship him and praise him for that and it will change how you engage with other people because God is the foundation of all your relationships with everyone you encounter. That's at the foundation. How was Jesus, and the amazing love Jesus showed right there in the garden as we read earlier. Didn't say it in the, the chapter we were reading from, but he heals Malchus, sticks his ear back on, as I like to say. It's pretty impressive. So these people coming to arrest him and he takes time out to stop Peter, put away the sword, and he heals this man who's arresting him. Hallelujah. Now, Father, we thank you and we praise you this morning. We thank you for the amazing love you've shown us in Christ Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, that there is something in the Christian life that differs from all the world, the bond that we have with believers everywhere, that all true believers, regardless of denomination, we're able to share something with them in the commonness that we find in Christ Jesus. We praise you and we thank you this morning. Let us go from here today, Lord God, and truly show your love to everybody that we encounter. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. You're welcome to duplicate this message in its entirety for non-profit purposes. For more information and resources, visit cgc.org.au.